Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 o'clock or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ezekiel. I'm going to be reading from the 47th chapter, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, I invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf in front of you or to use your phone, your Bible app, whatever you need, that you might have a copy of the Scriptures before you. And out of reverence for the Lord and for His Word, I want to invite you to stand with me as we listen now together for the Word of the Lord. Now he brought me back to the entrance to the temple. I saw water pouring out from under the temple porch to the east. The temple faced east. The water poured from the south side of the temple south of the altar. He then took me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the gate complex on the east. The water was gushing from under the south front of the temple. He walked to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet leading me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now, it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. He said, son of man, have you had a good look? Then he took me back to the riverbank. While sitting on the bank, I noticed a lot of trees on both sides of the river. He told me, this water flows east, descends to the Arabah, and then into the sea, the sea of stagnant waters. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore from Engedi all the way to Enaglame, casting their nets. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds, like the fish of the great Mediterranean. The swamps and marshes won't become fresh, they'll stay salty, but the river itself on both banks will grow fruit trees of all kinds. Their leaves won't wither, the fruit won't fail. Every month they'll bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Almighty God, on this glorious day of worship, of consecration, of setting this space apart for you, we ask that you would come and meet us in these moments. As we listen to your word, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our soul. Lord, as we listen for your word, let your Holy Spirit do the speaking. As we listen for your word, would you do a work in us that we would carry into the world around us, that life might abound. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
I think I can remember clearly the first time that I ever served in ministry. Uh, I had grown up active in a youth group that was large and had all kind of activities going on. And in the youth group, they had college students from Auburn that would come and serve uh, alongside the youth ministry, helping out in a variety of different roles. I remember as a high school student admiring all of those college students that uh, would serve, and so I wanted to be like them. And so as soon as I went to college and had the chance, uh, I did what every good person at First Church of Belike should do. I signed up to serve because I wanted to do what I saw those people doing. Uh, I signed up as a college student wanting to work with the youth ministry, and the first thing that I was uh, given the chance to do uh, was to go and help as a part of the big winter retreat that the youth ministry had every year. Uh, The youth ministry of that church, uh, every January, would take several hundred high school students on a winter retreat, and it was incredible, but in order to make sure that it worked the way they wanted it to and could function the way they needed as many people to serve as they possibly could get, Uh, and so they took all of us college students who were willing, and I I think I was so excited to be there just for the chance to serve. Uh, I think I got to be an assistant small group leader. That was the role I got. Uh, And I remember sitting and watching this ministry activity happen uh, from the other side. I had been a participant for years, uh, but to see it from the other side, and I thought it was the most incredible, most glorious thing that I had ever seen. I remember coming home thinking about how there had been hundreds of kids who had participated, that it had just been glorious to see the way they engaged, and how on that last night that there had been uh, dozens and dozens of kids who had come forward and given their life to the Lord or recommitted themselves to the ways of God, and that they had been available and prayed for. I remember thinking about the small group that I had helped lead and how they had prayed together and engaged, and I came home that Sunday afternoon at the end of that retreat just absolutely convinced that I had been a part of a ministry grand slam, uh, that it was just phenomenal. Uh, And so I was just on cloud nine, basking and beaming with what I had gotten to be a part of. And that only flabbergasted me more when I heard the youth pastor's evaluation of the weekend. A few days later, I happened to be in the lobby of the church office when the youth pastor was standing there, and someone from the church came and began to talk to him and uh, had heard how wonderful the weekend was and was telling the youth pastor the report that they had heard. And as they were going on and on about what they had heard, at some point, the person in the church stopped and asked the youth pastor, well, what's your assessment of the weekend? How do you think it went? And I'll never forget that he just, without even thinking, stopped and looked at him and said, I don't know. Ask me in six months. I could not even comprehend what he said in that moment. I was like, how could he not acknowledge what had happened? I was stunned. But today I know that the reason that he answered the way he did is because he had a grander grasp of the vision of God. He had a grander sense of what it looks like for the kingdom to come or the gospel to advance. He understood something about the way God works, and so he responded with an answer that reflected that. The book of Ezekiel paints an incredible picture of the same thing. Uh, The book of Ezekiel is an amazing book in your Bible. It really uh, is the recording of a a vision uh, that God gave to one prophet uh, at the lowest point in the story of Israel. 
I mean, there is not a place that was less uh, hopeful and more full of despair uh, than the season in which the book of Ezekiel was written. Uh, Jerusalem had been ransacked and overrun. It had been taken by the Babylonians. And uh, many of the remaining residents of the city of Jerusalem uh, had been enslaved and marched into captivity in Babylon where they would live for 70 years. Uh, You and I cannot probably begin to grasp the magnitude uh, with which this moment would have been. that the, The hope and the joy, the place of God had been ransacked and destroyed. And they found themselves wondering if God could ever do anything with them again. It was low and it was hard and it was a struggle and they couldn't see a clear way forward. Maybe you've felt like that before. Maybe you've had that season in your life. And I believe that in the same way God came and met Ezekiel, began to birth a vision of what could be, that God will do the same thing in your life. Ezekiel was there in Babylon and God sends a vision to him that uh, he begins to see and understand some of what God is doing and where God wants to lead his people. Uh, The first half of the book of Ezekiel is rather depressing uh, because the, the vision just begins to unfold all the consequences of the sin that they had committed. Uh, They walked through the consequences of the choices they've made. The people of Israel had given up on God. They had placed their desires and their comforts and their wants long before what God wanted. And God, at one point, had gotten so frustrated with their unwillingness to obey what it was that they were in covenant to obey that he removed his presence from the temple. Uh, That he said, I will take away my presence. And it looks there just for a moment like God is going to leave them on their own. You may have felt like that too. And yet, while Israel's sins were many, God's mercy is more. And so, in the middle of this vision, God begins to paint a picture to Ezekiel of hope. Of what is yet to come, of the story that is yet to be written, of where he wants to lead his people and what it will look like as they go. It's glorious. It starts small, and uh, I tend to envision things in the way that they would look on a movie screen, or if I was uh, watching, binging the series, and this is beginning to build, and it starts slow, but by the time you get to the end, it's culminating to the grand orchestra playing, and it's exciting, and your heart is beating fast, and you're all uh, taken into it in the moment. First, Ezekiel sees this vision of how God will transform their lives of how their lives that are stony and hard, that their lives that are dead, that have been separated from God, how he will breathe his spirit into them. That famed chapter in Ezekiel, chapter 37, is that valley of dry bones where we see the spirit come and rush into that valley and uh, the bones come back to life and God breathes life into them. For the last couple of months, Here at First Church Obelika, we've been looking at that same kind of idea, this idea that God longs to transform our inner likeness, to match the inner likeness of Jesus, that he wants to breathe his spirit into us, that he wants to take out that hard and stony heart and put in us a living heart animated by his spirit. As the story begins to build a little more, he moves into this description of how evil is finally defeated. Uh, How once and for all, God will come and he will defeat all the evil of the world and he will reign supreme over everything. And and then in what seems to probably be the most expected kind of culmination of the story uh, is that he reveals to them the renovated sanctuary. Uh, It's amazing because the people of Israel had been a people of the place. 
They had lived since Exodus chapter 40, expecting God to meet them in one solid location every single time. From the tabernacle days when they traveled through the wilderness to Solomon's grand temple, they expected that God would be in a place. And so it makes complete sense. That as Ezekiel is envisioning what God is going to do for all the people of Israel who would have heard this story, that this vision is going to culminate in a restored place. That there would be a new temple. That there would be this place where God would come and be, where they would meet him in incredible ways. And all that they had known in the past would would be relived in a grand version of the future. And so, sure enough, after evil is defeated, this heavenly tour guide in the vision uh, begins to show Ezekiel this brand new temple. And in ways that only Old Testament writers could do, he goes into more detail than every, any single person would really ever want to read. It's the kind of detail that probably only the building committee from our sanctuary renovation program would care about. Because, I mean, he gets into intimate little details about what this place is like. I mean, he takes them downstairs and he shows them the new mechanical rooms that sit where the old Thurman and Bible basic Sunday school classes were. He shows them the neat little coffee bars that are there in the hall, how they can put refreshments out when people want to use the new meeting rooms. He talks about the renovated HVAC. He he talks about the lights and the internet and all the capabilities that are now available. He has a whole chapter on how the modesty rails of the chancel move and how they can be reconfigured for different kind of worship services and that the pulpit can move and all these things. It's incredible. It culminates, maybe this was my vision and not his, with the center aisle. Oh, it's glorious, isn't it? And it seems that as that crescendo builds, right in the middle, Ezekiel sees the presence of God return. At this point, we ought to hear the organ playing. The choir should be singing the hallelujah chorus. We should all be on our feet because you can't have a higher moment, can you? You can't have a more powerful moment, can you? This is the end of the story, right? We've arrived, right? I mean, this is the glory of God filling his space. This is exactly what he wants, right? But the story doesn't end there. I think we expect it to. And I think we kind of live like it might. But if you follow the vision of Ezekiel... It reaches that high point for sure. God's presence fills that space again. But no sooner did the organ finish playing and the people sat down than that heavenly tour guide brings Ezekiel to the front door of the sanctuary. And he kind of stands there for just a moment looking around like, uh, well, what else is there? We, we, we reached the high point, right? We renovated the sanctuary. That's what God wanted. And all of a sudden he notices, right under the newly renovated threshold that you can roll a wheelchair over easily, he recognizes water bubbling up out of the threshold. Now, this isn't the kind of water that we should call the the builders back and say, hold on a second, there's something that isn't right. He begins to watch, and this water kind of bubbles up, and it begins to flow across the front porch of the sanctuary. 
And he kind of inquisitively looks at it, and the heavenly tour guide kind of ushers him to follow it and see what it is. And he begins to notice that the water is flowing down out of the sanctuary, kind of all around the building. Uh, And as it's flowing, it's getting bigger and wider and deeper. There's no tributaries coming into it, but it just seems that as it gets out into the world, that it gets stronger and faster. And so he looks and they begin to take this walk and they find that they've walked about a quarter of a mile when they stop and measure the depth of water and it's ankle deep. They keep walking and following this river, kind of saying, where in the world is this going? What is this for? Why is it here? And they wander another quarter of a mile or so and they find that the water's knee deep. Stronger and deeper it gets. And then they go another measurement or two and before they realize this is water that can't be walked through, It has to be swum across. Uh, And all of a sudden, they notice it's this raging river. And at this point, the heavenly tour guide stops and asks him a question. He says, do you see what's happening? He makes his way back up to a perch that can kind of see over the whole area. He can see the water flowing out of the renovated sanctuary. He can see that it's flowing away out of the city. He can see that it's getting bigger and deeper and richer everywhere it goes. And as he looks, he notices all along the banks that there are trees. Water in the Bible is incredibly symbolic. It's mentioned over 700 times, all the way from page one until the very last page, there's a reference of water. And almost every time that it's mentioned, there's a symbolic meaning to it. You see water that's used for deliverance, like the flood or the uh, escape from Egypt through the Red Sea. You see water of baptism, watching Jesus baptized in the Jordan. You see places that water is healing, You see Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit and what emanates up out of his life and our lives as we seek him out is the very presence of living water. When that heavenly tour guide takes Ezekiel to sit on that perch to overlook the city and to see the water, what he notices is life. What he notices is is the movement and presence and power of God, the Spirit of God, that was so present and palpable in the sanctuary, is flowing out of the sanctuary. If it wasn't clear, he drives it home one more time, and he says, this water, it's flowing through the most desolate and desiccated, arid, dry, non-water-saturated places on the whole planet. And everywhere it goes, life, like the Garden of Eden, is erupting. Life is erupting everywhere the presence and power of God touches, that it's bringing forth life, bringing forth life in places that had previously been dead. It flows all the way down into what would have been the most symbolic place of the absence of life the Dead Sea. And in that Dead Sea where nothing can live, the text tells us that the water gushes in to that place of death and all around it springs up life. Dead things come to life. Desolate places are full of hope. Despair is transformed into joy.
nourishment and provision and healing spring up wherever the presence and power of God goes, all because it flows out of the sanctuary. The reason that the youth director standing in the lobby of the church that day said that he couldn't tell you whether or not the retreat had been a success until six more months went by is because he understood how the gospel works. He understood how the kingdom advances. He understood how the vision of God unfolds. Because he knew that it was never about one single solitary moment on one retreat. It was never about whether or not someone responded and came up to the altar and prayed one time. Oh, those things are important. And God works in them. But the only way we know if the gospel is advancing, if the kingdom is coming, if God's work is manifesting itself in greater and newer ways is by what happens over time. And so he knew that unless he saw the prolonged faithfulness of some of these students, unless he saw a deeper hunger for God, unless he saw an increase in mission or serving or giving or all the kind of things that God's way would call us into, then what had happened in that weekend really wouldn't matter at all. Our sanctuary is the exact same. The measure of the sanctuary's success is not today. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love having these leaders who serve in this church and our district superintendent here. I love a full choir loft and music and all of these things that celebrate the noteworthiness of this moment. But we won't know if this sanctuary is a success unless something out there changes. Because the presence and work of God isn't an in-here thing. The presence and work of God is an out-there thing. Uh, That what's happening in here is good, but unless it translates into out-there, then we haven't done our job. We haven't fully grasped the encounter that God wants us to have in this place. If the difference that is made in our life doesn't translate to a difference being made in the lives out-there. We tend to think that revival and awakening is an inside thing. But if the kingdom of God is coming, then the world should be different. If the kingdom of God is coming, then the places of desolation and despair, that the dry and dead places in our world should be springing forth with life when the presence of God in you and me goes into those places. I think there's a false belief in our world today that says the answer is to get people to come to church. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd love to have people come to church. But we seem to operate with this idea that if we could just get more people in here, if the silver bullet was somehow that they hear Patrick or me or the glorious choir, that then everything will be okay. But if that's really our belief, then we've already failed. Because mathematically, we can't even get all the people of Opelika in here, much less make a dent in the world. And so I wonder what would happen if we grasped the full vision of God. 
That yes, the presence and power of God is strong in this place. That yes, God meets us in a powerful way and works in us. But the goal isn't to get everyone in here. The goal is for those of us who encounter God here to be authorized and sent out as agents, as ambassadors of the good news of Jesus, ones whose lives reflect life. And that as you and I go in and out of the places where we live and where we work and where we travel, and in and out of the relationships that we have, that just like in Ezekiel 47, that life would spring up all around us. Because where the presence of God goes, the life of God erupts in its path. I wonder what the most hopeless place of despair, place of desolation is that you can think about. Maybe it's an area of our community bound by poverty or brokenness, crime, struggle, hardship. Maybe it's someone in your family, someone that you'll be with this week. Someone that is hopeless or distraught. Maybe it's the hundreds, maybe thousands of underserved children across Lee County that need help and models and life. I wonder what it would look like if the presence and power of God that we so desperately want to fill this place filled it, but filled you and me too. And that we would go from this place carrying that life, that light, and that hope. And that we would look from a distance in days to come and scan the horizon of Opelika. And we would see places of death have come to life. The vision of the renovated sanctuary is not the presence, in God, presence of God in here. The vision of the renovated sanctuary is the presence of God out there. So this morning, you might ask, was the renovation a success? And I would say, I don't know. Ask me in six months. Pray with me, please. Lord, don't just come and fill this space. Come and change our lives. Don't just let this be an icon in our lives where we can live into a myth that says if we just go to church, everything's going to be okay. Let this be the place where you work at the deepest and most transformative level that our hearts and our lives and our minds are changed, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we go from this place not as gathered people but as scattered people to carry your good news and your hope into the world that is broken and desperate and in need of it.